Okay, welcome back. Welcome back to you and me. Uh, at this juncture um, between series or having finished uh, some recent series, you know, uh, pain to release, particularly uh, kind of going back and forth between comparative metaphysics and religion and philosophy, uh, Buddhism particularly, and then transpersonal psychology or analysis of defense mechanisms and how deep um, mental emotional healing occurs or how we can recognize being stuck and moving out of that, uh, searching for the next series. Uh, if some, if you've been listening closely previously, I talked about possibly getting into Parmenides or Stoicism, Marcus Aurelius. Um, and while there's good stuff there, although I must say I think I feel more attraction to Heraclitus than Parmenides, even though Parmenides predated him and uh, has some important principles. And I like Stoicism and Marcus Aurelius. Nevertheless, I think I'll go back to Buddhism. And <clears throat> uh, what I'd like to begin today is a series on uh, Sutta Nipata. Sutta Nipata means the, the great collection of suttas. Uh, there are other let me uh, give some links here. That's the Access to Insight uh, page on Sutta Nipata, the collection. Uh, from Wikipedia, there's another page, introductory, where it literally, the literal meaning they put here is Suttas falling down. <laughs> uh, considered, uh, obviously, part of the Pali Canon Theravada Buddhism. We're talking about translations, particularly from Tanasaro, Bhikkhu, and Jnanapanika, some other uh, Theravadins. Uh, suttas thought to originate from before Gautama's Parinibbana, meaning before he died. Uh, and some people consider that it's the oldest of all Buddhist uh, sections in the Tripitaka. Tripitaka, I mean, tree is three like three loka, three loka, three realms or worlds or a division of seven dimensions into three, as I've done before. Uh, three pitaka is three baskets. So in the entirety of the three baskets, which is basically sutta and um, abhidhamma and vinaya, meaning sutras, suttas, sutras of... Um, stories and teachings during the life of Gautama particularly and um, Vinaya which is the rules or conduct you know the, the exposition the commentary on rules and the, the codes of conduct for the community of Buddhists and then Abhidhamma which is further Abhidhamma further Dharma or uh, extended Dhamma, which are commentaries on the suttas, particularly, and some of the famous ones there we looked at later is uh, Buddha Gosha, uh, Vishuddhimagga, and uh, these uh, sections of Tripitaka, the three baskets that is the Pali Canon. Uh, some of the oldest material there is of Sutta Nipata, and that's good. <laughs> when we look at the uh, first page uh, Sutta collection from uh, Access to Insight, you see it's the fifth book of Kudaka Nikaya, uh, 71 short suttas into five vagas or chapters. And some of this I've read before. Uh, and so you'll see the famous uh, Kagavisana Sutta as uh, SN13. Uh, which is Sutta Nipata 1, Chapter 1, Book 3, or Section 1, I don't know how you want to, chapter, uh, chapter 1, Section 3, or Book 1, Sutta Number 3, uh, the uh, Sutta on the Rhinoceros, right? Uh, wander as a rhinoceros in the forest. So some of what I've read before has 
come from Sutta Nipata, which again is 71 suttas here in this five sections. There's a lot. Um, will I be here for 71 weeks? Uh, maybe. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, so, in the other class, it's uh, Lao Tzu and Tao Te Ching uh, for 81 chapters. And here we've got Sutta Nipata for 71 chapters or 72 or 71, you know, whether you call it section or, you know, certainly 71, 72 suttas. I'm not sure they're all, they're not necessarily all translated here. Uh, and there is varying quality. Some are hard, hardcore teaching and some are sort of storytelling. Some are hard to understand and some are very straightforward. But um, let's jump in because I feel, you know, there's a lot, there's a meta principle here. Uh, there's a lot of excellent human philosophy, I feel. Uh, that's why I've, you know, cast the net widely and go from Heraclitus to Ramana Maharshi to early Gnostics to raw material to you know, Confucius and uh, transpersonal psychologists uh, and Trevor James, UFO friends and foes. Uh, and a whole range of uh, uh, contributors to philosophy, psychology, UFO studies, metaphysics, uh, esoterica. <laughs> Meanwhile, uh, for me personally, uh, Buddhism and the raw material is the bedrock. Uh, and uh, that's why I, I think it's, that's why I will come back to this. Uh, I think Marcos Aurelius and Parmenides and all sorts of guys are very important. Um, but Katama, um, as far as I, <laughs> from my experience, my knowing, which could be called belief or trust or faith, um, really finished the path of the seven dimensions in the octave. He really did finish that and really is showing the way out of uh, becoming, <laughs> freedom from becoming, freedom from the thirst for becoming, hmm? freedom from clinging and craving or craving-based clinging. Uh, and you'll see that here right at the head in the uh, snake chapter or Uru, uh, Uraga, Va Uraga Vaga, Vaga is chapter, uh, Uraga Vaga, the snake chapter. And so, in general, I'll be reading from Tanisaro's um, translation, even though the other may be quite good, too. Uh, so, let me give you the page on that. Let me take a look at this also. Uh, in fact, I might even read both translations from uh, Nayana Panika, Nyana Panika, who I think was a Western German monk in Sri Lanka. Um, I don't know everything, so I make mistakes, but I think that he was a European. But in any case, um, a real classic translator of uh, Pali canon texts and then Tanisaro. Tanisaro. Uh, what we're going to see here in the Uraga Sutta is a discussion of uh, the five hindrances and how on spiritual path or as we keep learning and growing, the mind is continually changing. And so who I know myself to be today is really quite different than who I knew myself to be five years ago. Perhaps, I mean, e essentially even in the microanalysis, um, it may well be that who I know myself to be today or how I know myself today or what I know myself today to be is even quite different than yesterday or a month ago. Uh, but bear in mind that as the path, as one really progresses in samadhi, um, the sense of self becomes quite dissolved. There's um, decreasing self-referentiality, the self-referencing of 
me and uh, me as the center point of experience, uh, attachment to that decreases. Uh, self-conceit, the conceit of, of of a mentally fashioned identity. That's what conceit really means in Buddhism. Um, conceit means the false uh, thought forms associated with the clinging or clinging to false thought forms uh, associated with self a sort of subjective referentiality, uh, subjective self-referencing, a habit of continually turning attention back to a body-identified separate self, a body-identified sense of a separate self that um, seems to be the center of action. Now, there are people who are somewhat outside of that who have significant psychological malaise or dis-ease called uh, dissociation or depersonalization or derealization or psychotic process. I'm not talking about that, meaning uh, there is um, dysfunctional um, apparent or a false freedom from uh, self-conceit. Uh, that's akin to Karen Horney's view of sort of the erased or um, minimized self-image. Meanwhile, there is, um, from a Buddhist perspective, and any Hindu yogi would understand, um, freedom from clinging to the apparent separate self. And that's critical. And particularly, it's the notions of self or subjective identity. It's the nature of the fashioning of the sense of identity that we keep fashioning, the samskaras, right? The, the, the fermenting notions we keep fermenting about I, identity, uh, those keep shifting over time. That shift is akin to the snake sloughing off uh, the old skin that we'll see here in Uraga Sutta. So let me just read it from Tanisaro's translation and then I think I probably should read the Nyana um, Ponikos translation uh, just for comparison and I might even read them together so let's look in and so beginning Sutta Nipata or the discussion of Sutta Nipata uh, chapter 1 uh, Uraga Vaga uh, sutta one, Uraga Sutta, right? The serpent or snake. And Tanisaro's right up here is one who advances far along the path sheds unwholesome states of mind as a snake sheds its dried up old skin. And the unwholesome states of mind are very much associated with the five hindrances. Five hindrances, you know, Buddhism loves lists. And uh, here's a link, Wikipedia. Just briefly, five hindrances, very much like um, an, an expansion of the three poisons. Three poisons, grasping aversion, ignorance, or desire, passion, uh, aversion, hatred, rejectionism, oppositionalism, frustrations, anger, and then ignorance, which is avidya, which is uh, not the fundamental ignorance of, of not knowing <laughs> what I is, but the secondary ignorance of uh, having a, a mind that's stuck, stuck here, stuck there, stuck in a thing, stuck with no no thing. Um, so the, the five hindrances, which again are uh, very clearly elaborations, I'd say, of the three poisons. First is sensory desire, which is basically you know, desire uh, at the body level, mind's desire and attachment to body level experience. Ill will, which is back to aversion, right? So grasping aversion, sensory desire or physical desiring, grasping, and aversion, ill will. Um, it's written here, hostility, resentment, hatred, bitterness. Sure, it's a rejectionism, oppositionalism. And so it comes out, yeah, as hating or bitterness or frustrations or impatience or irritability but I'd say that it traces back to an attachment to 
the way of opposition. Uh, some people may know that here. Um, sniffing out inadequacy, uh, a nose um, highly sensitized to distortion, which is fine, but um, one can be aware of it and make nothing of it. Uh, it's good to be aware of distortions of self and other and imprecision and imbalance, um, but in many cases it's often better to accept it as is and move on to something more important than struggling against uh, or tr correcting or fixing or pointing out that distortion or blockage or imbalance or imprecision or uh, conflict or you know issue. Uh, so the mind that is um, super attached to um, perception of and dwelling associated with imperfection or imbalance or conflict or mistakenness, uh, that, that is very much the mind of ill will that comes out in very coarse ways of anger, frustration, irritability, um, bitchiness, you know, he's a jerk and an asshole and obnoxious and da da da. But, but the mind underneath has some sense of um, uh, conflict is where I must dwell. I must dwell in oppositionalism or duality. It's very, it's a very deep blockage. It's, it's very third, it's very third chakra blockage. Then, then we have the other three of the five hindrances that I'd say are uh, expansions of the third avidya, third poison avidya. Sloth and torpor, restlessness and worry, and doubt. And I don't want to get into all of these because, uh, you know, one could do classes, one could do, you know, a series on simply the five hindrances. One could do a series of multiple talks on any of these suttas, as well as um, the underlying uh, teachings like uh, Gautama's teaching on five hindrances, but I don't want to. So um, the other three here, sloth and torpor, these are these can be seen, you see, these five hindrances are also seen as hindrances to meditation, but they're hindrances to clear thinking and well-being as well. So sloth and torpor, heaviness, sort of, um, not simply I'm tired, but um, I cannot but be tired. Uh, tired is my home. It's a long-term burnout and laziness, although laziness is not that simple because many people don't understand. They think, I'm lazy or you're lazy, when actually the person is simply demotivated. And if you don't look at the reality that motivation is lacking, you will have some sense that the other or oneself shouldn't be lazy, don't be lazy. But, you know, in many cases, people don't want something, and there's no motivation. So sloth and torpor, which is this uh, heavy <laughs> earth-water stasis of mind. Restlessness and worry, which is the other side, which is a, a fire-air instability of mind, uh, particularly the mind that can't settle down, inability to calm the mind. And then doubt, lack of conviction or trust, you know, doubt is inevitable, or all of these are normal, uh, but getting stuck in them is what determine, is what really qualifies them as a hindrance. A hindrance is something that we are currently stuck with in and can't, and, and haven't learned how to be free of. Uh, and so, anyway, we'll see what this looks like when we get into uh, Uraga Sutta a little bit more. So let's look in. All right, Uraga Sutta, the snake, Sutta Nepata 1-1. And uh, first we'll work with um, Tanisaro's, Tanisaro's, uh, John Jeff, as they say. I like calling him Tanisaro Bhikkhu. Uh, with his translation, and then we'll look to uh, Jnana Panika. All right, Uraga Sutta from Uraga Vaga, Sutta Nipata 1 1. 
Tanisara Bhikkhu's translation. The monk who subdues his arisen anger, as with herbs, snake venom, once it has spread, sloughs off the near shore and far as a snake, its, dis- its decrepit old skin. So, the monk who subdues his arisen anger, as with herbs, snake venom, once it has spread, sloughs off the near shore and far as a snake, its decrepit old skin. The monk who has cut off passion without leaving a trace, as he would plunging into a lake, a lotus, sloughs off the near shore and far as a snake, its decrepit old skin. The monk who has cut off craving without leaving a trace, as if he had dried up a swift flowing stream, sloughs off the near shore and far as a snake, its decrepit old skin. The monk who has demolished conceit without leaving a trace, as a great flood, a very weak bridge made of reeds, meaning demolished it without leaving a trace, sloughs off the near shore and far as a snake, its decrepit old skin. The monk, seeing in states of becoming no essence, as he would when surveying a fig tree, no flowers, sloughs off the near shore and far as a snake, its decrepit old skin. The monk with no inner anger, who has thus gone beyond becoming and not, meaning not becoming, sloughs off the near shore and far as a snake, its decrepit old skin. The monk, whose discursive thoughts are dispersed, well dealt with inside, without leaving a trace, sloughs off the near shore and far as a snake, its decrepit old skin. The monk who hasn't slipped past or turned back, transcending all this objectification, sloughs off the near shore and far as a snake, its decrepit old skin. The monk who hasn't slipped past or turned back, with knowing with regard to the world that all this is unreal, sloughs off the near shore and far as a snake, its decrepit old skin. The monk who hasn't slipped past or turned back without greed, as all this is unreal, sloughs off the near shore and far as a snake, its decrepit old skin. The monk who hasn't slipped past or turned back without aversion, as all this is unreal, sloughs off the near shore and far as a snake, its decrepit old skin. The monk who hasn't slipped past or turned back without delusion, as all this is unreal, sloughs off the near shore and far as a snake, its decrepit old skin. The monk in whom there are no obsessions, the roots of unskillfulness totally destroyed, sloughs off the near shore and far as a snake, its decrepit old skin. The monk in whom there's nothing born of distress, that would lead him back to this shore, meaning rebirth, sloughs off the near shore here and far, meaning the end of the path, as a snake, its decrepit old skin. The monk in whom there's nothing born of desire that would keep him bound to becoming, sloughs off the near shore and far as a snake, its decrepit old skin. The monk who's abandoned five hindrances, who, untroubled, unwounded, has crossed over doubt, sloughs off the near shore and far, as a snake, its decrepit old skin. So it's a pretty intense sutta, actually, um, I'd say, um, with this continuing refrain of sloughing off, meaning uh, ridding oneself of the near shore and far. <laughs> I mean, Buddhism is so sophisticated. I mean, you know, Marcus Aurelius is a good guy, and Heraclitus is a good guy, 
but they really can't hold a candle to this meaning um, Gautama's not just talking about uh, how to live life well or something or some kind of uh, philosophy of um, you know ontological uh, phenomena the ontology of phenomena polarity cyclicity alternation identity of opposites he's really talking about um, the value of finishing soul evolution I mean the value of of being free of the travail the long long work of multi-incarnational multi-dimensional karmically based reincarnation and soul evolution through the dimensions sloughs off the near shore and far he finishes here and there <laughs> the, the monk the person who's finished with the five hindrances who's finished with basically you know uh, craving and clinging uh, tanha and upadana who's finished with uh, the fuel for continued rebirth has finished uh, living here and being reborn there the near shore here the far shore what beyond the veil in higher dimensions I mean Nibbana is called the far shore or, or across uh, the ocean of samsara birth and death right samsara means the round of birth and death the round of birth and death is soul evolution in cosmic plan which is multi-incarnational reincarnation through multi-dimensional um, successive uh, planes of existence right the 31 planes in Buddhism is the seven dimensions in the raw material uh, is um, the structure in, uh, in of, of cosmic plan or the octave in which soul evolution proceeds and Gautama is really saying one can finish that whole thing and be free not just of uh, frustrations with your uh, fellows down here like uh, some of the moral philosophers um, counsel but uh, free of soul evolution and free of, of having to work through this cosmic plan in the octave this is a pretty serious uh, perspective and so we're talking about a monk or a person who is has um, and again the words um, need to be I think um, unpacked a bit subdues a risen anger um, cut off passion cut off craving demolished conceit and so we've got here anger ill will right the first of the three poisons passion the second one so the plus the, the minus and the plus or the hate hate and love love where, where love is desire or grasping uh, the Buddhist approach obviously has very harsh language and even the this refrain here sloughs off the near shore and far as a snake its decrepit old skin is kind of rough <laughs> imagery Im imagistically um, decrepit old skin uh, is is obviously a reference to the snake you know shedding the skin but more so um, the patterns of mind unneeded uh, who I was I no longer am where I was I no longer am uh, what I realize I don't need right being free from unnecessary mental patterns I mean Buddhism is focusing right at the heart of the matter which is mind likewise the negatives here on earth you know they're focusing if you want control of people uh, control their mind if you want to control their mind control their neurochemistry hey hey so uh, you want to control a population and make them a brave new zombie world uh, control neurochemistry if you want to control neurochemistry control um, you know cranial cranial electromagnetics Ooh. so they control cranial or mental or you know brain uh, neuro electromagnetics to control neurochemistry to control thinking and feeling to control the people to control the planet to uh, make their bosses of 4d negative happy um, likewise on the other side Gautama's teaching how it is that um, freedom is born uh, it's born of mind training uh, purifying uh, desire 
tr purifying uh, clinging or moving to uh, the mind uh, of such wisdom and and um, uh, faith in itself, self-faith, or faith in what I is, faith in this one, that we can be free or, or trust ourselves enough to let go of what's painful. Generally, people hold on to what's painful because of fear of how it will be without it, how I will feel, how I will be without this uh, self-limitation or these patterns that in fact are painful themselves fear of being without the crutches of anger, passion, craving, conceit, right? Attachment to anger, attachment to desire, I want it my way, it must be, it cannot be without, I cannot be not that way, must must be, uh, craving, which is of course Ubadana, uh, or I'm mean, sorry, Tana, which is the, this basic, um, this this basic thirsting, this basic hungering, thirsting. Uh, how can I live without hungering, thirsting? <laughs> so we're talking a little bit up the chain there, before passion and anger, or grasping aversion, ignorance, before clinging in certain ways comes deeper craving. But we have an attachment to all this, and um, you know we're stuck because we have attachment to the nature uh, of. Um, the patterns um, in which we're stuck. And so uh, the bravery and deeper, deep self-trust of the one who um, is okay with continually sloughing off decrepit old skin or relax, re relaxing, <laughs> the releasing uh, patterns of mind and behavior and speech that are unnecessary and unhelpful and generally, obviously, associated with pain, dukkha, stress. Sloughing off uh, attachment to here and there, and attachment to who I think I am, how I think I must be, how I'm afraid not to be, uh, faith, <laughs> trust, bravery, courage, continuing on. Um, I, I want to let go what I don't need. That is the 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 machiner the mechanics the real nitty gritty of subduing arisen anger, cutting off passion, cutting off craving, and demolishing conceit. Uh, to the extent that one's aggressive about it, as this language would suggest, one will get into trouble. I did that myself and got into trouble in my mind by an overly aggressive uh, uh, approach to my own hindrances. But. Um, one can simply let it die, uh, let it die by um, loving, non-grasping attention. That's another matter. And that can be learned in, in meditation with mindfulness. You can't just let it go. And so there's, you know, Ray Vespi saying, the famous, famous uh, Vesper from Ray Vespi saying, uh, if you can't see through it, you've got to see it through. If you can't see that Arisen anger is empty, arisen passion, uh, all of which is coming out of prior arisen attachment to craving, tana, thirst, the deep sense of, I can't be without thirsting. Thirsting is my way. <laughs> uh, attachment to all that um, makes it hard to see through it, or that. When we can see that it's unreal, we, we're seeing through when we can't, we have to see it through, which really means, I think, uh, willing to psychoanalyze, willing to think about what is this, how did it come to be, uh, how am I responsible, how I'm responsible for maintaining these distorted patterns, uh, the consequences of uh, letting them express themselves in thought and, de and deed, in behavior, my anger leads to what? You know, not 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 being free of this anger leads to what? Not being free of this passion leads to what? Uh, my fear of confrontation, my attachment to confrontation, my uh, attachment to criticism, criticalness of self and other, my fear of being criticized, my uh, attachment to rigid preference, 
my unwillingness to have pref to express or know my preference. <laughs> oh, the mind is so complicated. So, um, rather than take uh, an aggressive approach, one can one can either naturally quickly see through. The, you know, the more one has concentration and samadhi and stillness of mind and well-being in general, the easier it is to see through. But when we can't, generally, the opposite way is accept it, understand it, take responsibility for it, uh, move to forgiveness, and find a better way. The healing cycle that Ra talks about or that I've identified from Ra's teaching on uh, initiation and healing, you know, healing and balance of mind, healing and balance in general. So that's really the way of seeing things through, seeing distortions through. A willingness to identify, right? Talk therapy. Talk therapy with yourself. Uh, and so this sutta um, not only uh, reminds us of the impermanence of mind states along the path, um, we cannot remain as we are if we continue learning and growing and changing and on the path. Uh, and the key to it ultimately is going to be working through derivatives of the three poisons akin to the five hindrances. Those associated with anger, those associated with desire to take in or hold, those that all of which comes out of craving and all of which is associated with atta or selfhood or ego or conceit, which is again, uh, I think, in a very fine understanding, um, the f- continual, you know, the the uh, the reef, the refashioning, the continual refashioning of um, a subjective, uh, conceptually con- conceptually composited identity, the uh, composting. <laughs> of thought and feeling into a um, thought-based sense of self. That's me. Uh, that uh, that habit, that, that um, uh, samskaric manifestation or samskaric activity of uh, fabricating, fashioning, fermenting, um, this thought-based identity, which is not, it, it isn't, it, it, it is a fashioned um, overlay to identify the one who speaks. Who is the one who speaks? Well, the one who speaks is what I is, true nature, which is really beyond any fashioning or conceived selfhood. So, Demolishing conceit is ultimately free of, you know, uh, the second or the second and the eighth fetter, the belief that notions of self are real, and uh, and the deep belief that uh, conceptual identity is real. Uh, freedom from conceived identity. So in any case getting rid of all that akin to sloughing off skin of a snake is being finished with this shore and that. And so how does that happen? Well, the seeing through approach is the monk seeing in states of becoming no essence. And so again, Buddhism talking about freedom from becoming, right? Baba and um, Kama Baba, particularly Karma Baba, or Kamma Baba, the becoming associated with karmic stream, associated with continued uh, thirsting, hungering, and clinging, grasping, aversion, ignorance, and all that. Uh, Freedom from that is freedom from attachment to becoming. Seeing in states of becoming no essence, he can see through. And then uh, further down, um, there is a kind of circling back to um, an understanding of the way of being free of the three poisons uh, and the five hindrances uh, by 
seeing no substantive essence in the phenomena of mind or the poisons and hindrances that arise in mind. The monk with no inner anger, who has thus gone beyond, yes. And so, free of anger is a great, great achievement. It doesn't mean free of sorrow or free of all distortion, but it's a great, great achievement, free of anger. It's a very big deal, actually. The more free from anger, the more we're going to be living in, in truth, and uh, particularly third-ray blockages of anger. We have a Skype issue here. Uh, anger is, is a uh, particularly falsifying distortion, because in the end, most of the time, um, anger rests on disappointment and sadness and, and um, the sorrow of some kind of loss, uh, grief. Anger often rests on grief, and in general, the, um, the, the willingness a person has to feel grief is inversely proportional to how much anger they're holding, meaning the more a person's holding anger, the less they're willing to experience grief. The more a person's willing to experience grief, which is just strong sadness and sorrow associated with loss and disappointment often, the, the strength of the, the, the capacity to feel grief is a, is a corresponding freedom from attachment to anger, it seems to me. And I used to think that uh, love and beauty is the other side of sadness. Love, um, a, a sort of beautiful love or love beauty is the other side of the coin of sorrow. And that really is, this, this, the experience of sorrow is from the willingness to feel sorrow. It's the willingness to open the heart to the pain of grief. Feeling sorrow equals or is only, can only be by um, a prior heart chakra activation, open heart willingness to feel the grief. That's why we feel grief. And anger represents an unwillingness to feel grief from that, in that context, from my view. And so being without, being severely freed of anger is a big deal. It doesn't mean other functions don't need development, but um, freedom from, you know, gone beyond becoming and not associated with freedom from anger is a big achievement. So no inner anger. And these are all, you know, potentials ahead of us. Uh, no inner anger has thus, thus, thus gone beyond becoming and not. Um, a whole lot of fake uh, compositing, fermenting, <laughs> fashioning, samskaric, mental over-conceiving, mental, you know, what? <laughs> mental jerking off, a whole lot of excessive mental masturbation, uh, comes by anger, uh, comes by an unwillingness to feel the grief. And so, uh, no inner anger can be understood as thus having gone beyond becoming and not. There is a certain big cut in the attachment to becoming or attachment to non-becoming, right? Manipulation of mind states. Attachment to becoming is an attachment to further, um, you know, uh, kind of tasting further mind states. An attachment to non-becoming is the desire to be finished tasting mind states. Uh, to, a, to a large extent, a big cut is made with the freedom from anger. Uh, a big cut in the root, the tap root of attachment to becoming thirsting for changed mind states or hating changed mind states and thirsting for none. Uh, that very, very subtle level of attachment is significantly undercut as anger is vented and uh, not reattached. Monk whose discursive thoughts are dispersed, right? Yaki yaki mind is quiet. Well dealt with inside, <laughs> meaning the person has uh, met their discursive thoughts um, from a central mental point, from a central point of stillness and observation or observation and freedom from 
um, jumping around, freedom from monkey monkey mindedness, freedom from uh, a fear of being of sitting down, <laughs> sit down mind, and the discursive process. This is something that I've not been much susceptible. This is not my particular line of distortion, but people who are more um, what in theosophy we call third ray, fifth ray minds um, are very into discursive activity, and uh, there's often a fear of 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 uh, settling down. It's a fear of dying in place. I I will die if I settle down. I'll be an easy target, or I'll be swamped. Uh, quiet settling down e is a threatening is a threatening prospect. Um, I shall die if I stop running. I shall melt, like the wicked witch, um, or dissolve into the earth or the ether. Um, it's not exactly annihilatory dread, but there may be some there. There's a f the fear. It's it's very clearly to me fear-driven uh, mental monkey-mindedness. Uh, well dealt with. <laughs> the monkey is uh, taking a taking a break and happy to be relaxed. The monk who hasn't slipped past or turned back, transcending all objectification. This, I think, is a little bit more esoteric. Uh, you see here that the phrase slipped past or turned back. <laughs> you know, this is all very hardcore teaching. I mean, this is a guy who's finished with the octave. It's a pretty big deal, you know. Nityananda was doing other things and um, just didn't take the time to talk this an analytically. Uh, but it's pretty high. <laughs> it's above me, so I'm just... Uh, you know, moderately well, trying to understand what's going on. So what we see here in the middle of the sutta is um, the phrase, hasn't slipped past or turned back. Slipped past what? Turned back how? Um, it's some sense of losing a present moment, centered, quiet, detached mindfulness. Slipped past the presence of quiet mind now turned back into um, poisons and hindrances, I'd say. Because we see that, that um, uh, all of the, the verses that include the phrase hasn't slipped past or turned back are associated, uh, most of them, nearly all of them, are associated with a phrase, all this is unreal. There is nothing. Neti neti. And this was, this is actually one of the suttas I read before, I forgot the name. Gautama was talking about um, what seemed to be practice in a jhana, in a higher jhana, a practice of, of one of the yogi, the monk, um, bringing to mind the phrase, there is nothing. Bringing to mind the phrase, there is nothing, in a higher jhana, in a fourth jhana, let's say, the not formless, but a form, the highest form jhana, fourth, which is uh, associated with, uh, you know, access to higher states and um, very stable observational present-mindedness, without much, without grasping, you know, without much proliferation or thought, bringing to mind in that state the phrase "there is nothing," very much akin to the phrase "all this is unreal." And in fact, they may be the same phrase, just simply translated differently. So not slipping past or moving away, nor falling back to where I was, not advancing, you know, this is about becoming, right? Becoming what I was or becoming what I'm not, going where I'm not or returning to where I was before, that's not happening. Without that... Um, one can bring to mind the thought um, there is nothing or the knowing all this is unreal and in a way what you're seeing here is um, the higher practice of the snake 
<laughs> the yogi as the yogi's mind as snakeskin being sloughed off progressively over the years of practice or spiritual path and um, through the stages of meditation not slipping past not turning back not becoming um, otherwise nor returning to as one was uh, by that one may transcend objectification that's <laughs> that's that's reification of samskara that's exactly the problem that is how uh, samskara is the basis of dukkha meaning it's the craving for becoming or non-becoming or basic craving and thirsting and hungering that leads to the mental conceiving samskara for skanda which is objectification which is reification which is taking life and reality and um, slapping on labels and um, defining experience conceptually uh, crystallizing or contracting an apparently separate sense of self all of that is objectification you know the so-called ego is an objectification of uh, essential identity or universal presence is objectified uh, into a body-mind identified ego or sense of self that goes all the way up to six density by the way sense in Ross said they're only in seventh density are they free of memory and identity but Gautama's free of identity meaning a false fashioned identity which is an objectification which can be you know dropped eventually for sure will will be dropped going to seventh density there's no there's no memory identity Ross said it so obviously they're impermanent or uh, identity particularly is illusory it's a trans, it's an objectification and without slipping past meaning moving slipping off from here or falling back to where to there uh, one may uh, see objectifications see the mind as objectifying and realize all this is unreal <laughs> beyond objectification that's what it is all this is unreal what's unreal is the product of objectification objectification is the derealization of reality reality is derealized or um, reified objectified falsified fermented into conceptual interpretation by the uh, the uh, unhappy mind <laughs> by the mind that's thirsting for becoming and non-becoming all this is unreal there is nothing so knowing with regard to the world uh, with without greed without aversion without delusion right three poisons desire aversion ignorance so we see again three poisons back back again as the root tendencies um, associated with suffering um, the the fuel <laughs> the the three types of fuel for objectification and so all objectification is what gives rise to the mental experience of the world the world uh, the aeon <laughs> uh, mundi. you can say that and be cool about it but ultimately it's a dream of light it's the illusion of limits it's the concept of light as Ra said nothing wrong with it we can enjoy it we can suffer in it we can suffer in it and enjoy it which is the case and and if you want to be free if you want to live in the absolute truth you'll be free of it if you want to see what is one will transcend all objectification hey hey and then realize all this is unreal all this is not simply outer form an object you know uh, but also the mental nama rupa name and form nama is the mental is the objectification of rupa form physical form thought form all of that is uh, namaized or um, reified, objectified, <laughs> uh, conceptualized, fashioned, fermented, <laughs> uh, glorified, uh, conceited, <laughs> made conceitful 
or conceit as a basis. Uh, meaning we we throw all sorts of um, objectifications to life. Uh, we we make um, flowing light apparently static and defined. We we think it it's definable, therefore we can define it. Meanwhile, it's a massive objectification or taking the illusory as substantive. And that's where we get to the, the, the mark of anatta. It's anicca impermanent, insubstantial, and we take it as quasi-permanent and substantial. And the way, one way of working through um, our uh, pain is to recognize uh, how we've objectified uh, and how we consider uh, the impermanent permanent or the insubstantial substantial. Anyway, it gets very theoretical, but uh, it comes back to working with <laughs> um, desire and hate and ignorance. So, where, how one mm, resisting the tendency to slip past or turn back to go beyond the present moment or to fashion, to become or reject becoming. Um, if we don't do that, we may see through greed, aversion, delusion, and see its insubstantiality, its you know emptiness, right? Sunya, sunyata, and um, impermanence, anicca. So, seeing all this is unreal is a de-objectification and it is a realization of the three marks in real time. Anicca impermanent, insubstantial, and stressful. That's, that is what's known as one sees it's all unreal. There is nothing. And even one's thought, there is nothing, is nothing. <laughs> yes, of course. So, uh, now beyond this phrase, not slipping past or turning back, we have uh, the monk in whom there are no obsessions. No obsessions equals roots of unskillfulness totally destroyed. Unskillful is akin to the five hindrances, obviously, but any form of mental pattern that's harming or self-harmful, which are many. Um, no obsessions. And you can say that, that our attachment to preference any preference we have lots i mean preference you know is pretty normal and so it's all pretty normal <laughs> desire ill will ignorance totally normal uh but to some degree the way we maintain our distortions is by obsession unrecognized obsession because there's some kind of obsessive or um excessive grasping quality in deep mind that keeps these distortions in place and this is sort of the attachment to attachment attachment to uh, poisons and hindrances um, and that's obviously unskillful <laughs> meaning it's not helpful uh, so beyond obsessions roots of unskillfulness will be thus destroyed nothing born of distress which would lead him back to this shore to reincarnation in third density we may say nothing born of distress uh, does that mean they're beyond dukkha well i guess you know this would be somebody who's complete and perfect enlightenment nothing born of dukkha there's no more dukkha left mm. nothing born of desire <laughs> and there's the linkage between desire and dukkha or grasping aversion ignorance which are coming out of forms of clinging which come out of craving which are all forms of desiring I desire to get it and take it and hold it and keep it I desire to keep it away or kill it I desire what to not know <laughs> or I just don't know what I desire because I'm stuck in uh, you know sloth and torpor uh, doubt or um, you know anxiety distractedness these various uh, fogged fogged or unstable states of mind associated with ignorance or avidya third 
poison. Um, that's held too by desire. There's a fear of being without it generally. In any case, uh, all distress dukkha ultimately comes out of attachment or desire for continued clinging. You know, continued clinging. Uh, and that's associated with five hindrances. And so free from all that stuff equals untroubled, unwounded, crossed over doubt. Uh, and that's particularly Sotapanna, where Sotapanna no longer has doubt in Triratna, meaning no longer has doubt in Buddha Dhamma Sangha, no longer has doubt that this guy really is as he says he is, and his teaching really does uh, what it says it does, meaning lead to the end of suffering. I mean, yeah, obviously, <laughs> there is a the end of dukkha is the end of having to reincarnate in the octave. We can't imagine what that's like, um, but I think we all may have some certainty that it is. And um, you know, beyond the octave uh, is what eternal bliss, eternal, you know, <laughs> it's the source of light. So return to the source of light. I think things will be pretty well. Uh, but in the first stage of awakening, one goes beyond, Sotapanna goes beyond doubt in the Buddha himself, the Dhamma, and what it says, and the Sangha, or the value of community, I'd say. And so, uh, that's, that's a um, pretty intricate analysis of Uraga Sutta. And it's not that much different, actually, with um, Jnana Panika's uh, translation. Uh, we're talking about curbing one's wrath and that's just sort of an old-fashioned way of putting it subduing arisen anger curbing one's wrath cutting off lust cutting off craving blot out conceit you know, this is very rough language here (laughs) it's much better to let it die than to kill it, actually let things die by lack of, uh, you know, by attrition by lack of nutriment uh, rather than forcefully killing. You can't really forcefully kill your self-conceit because um, the basis for the forceful killing is further conceit. So it just leads to more trouble. Uh, But you can see um, another way here is uh, he who does not find core or substance in any of the realms of being like flowers vainly sought in fig trees that bear none. Uh, he who bears no grudges in his heart, transcending all this thus and otherwise. <laughs> Meaning, uh, further elaborations uh, of the present moment being dropped, associated with not holding a grudge from before and tomorrow. right? Not stuck on uh, I'm I uh, uh, my ill will for you or for this based on back then, carried till tomorrow. That whole thing goes away too. He who has burned out his evil thoughts entirely cut them off within his heart. He who neither goes too for goes too far nor lags behind. And that's Yana Panika's uh, translation for um, where Tanisaro said. Uh, hasn't slipped past or turned back, neither goes too far nor lags behind, jumps to a present to imagination or future, nor falls back to where he used to be, uh, stuck in neither future projection nor past uh, recollection, entirely transcending the diffuseness of the world, <laughs> uh, transcending all objectification. Knowing with regard to the world, all this is unreal. Knows about the world, this is unreal. So, knowing um, the unreality, the mayic, illusory quality uh, of um, the world and our interpretations of it. Anyway, goes finally to the end, last few phrases from Jnana Panika, he who has no dormant tendencies whatever, Mm. whose unwholesome roots have been expunged, states born of anxiety, he harbors none, 
which may condition his return to Earth. So he's finished with 3D. Uh, harboring, no longer harboring states of anxiety or states born of anxiety. How much mental unskillfulness comes out of unhealed fear. How much fear we carry. States born of attachment, he harbors none, uh, which cause his bondage to existence. So harboring no states of, uh, states born of anxiety, states born of attachment, states of mind. States of mind born of fear, born of uh, clinging in general. Um, he harbors none. Uh, a state born of attachment or anxiety may arise, but one can also not harbor it, <laughs> put it in the harbor, or uh, make it, give it a home. Mind can be trained that way, to not give a home to the unhelpful. Uh, these uh, unhelpful harborings of conditions of mind born of fear and attachment um, condition our return to earth or cause bondage to existence or keep us spinning on the wheel of reincarnation in the 31 planes, of course. So, pretty pretty sophisticated uh, spiritual psychology here, I'd say. Um, yeah, it's distorted states of mind that keep us bound to reincarnation. Finally, he who has the five hindrances discarded Doubt free and serene and free of inner barbs. Uh, inner barbs. Uh, free of uh, self torment. Free of self wounding. Uh, free of um, the patterns of mind and attachments and clingings that cause us further suffering and stress. That's what Buddhism is all about. <laughs> free, free from inner um, self-harm. The self-harm of the three poisons, of the five hindrances, of craving and clinging in general. Anyway, that uh, concludes in a uh, rough-and-tumble way, Uraga Sutta, which is uh, the first of the Sutta Nepata uh, text or Suttas, sutras that I'll be reading here. And I do think we will continue next week to the Daniya Sutta or Daniya the Cattleman story. Gautama um, talking with a rich cattleman uh, of the day. And the difference between uh, worldly success and spiritual success or worldly success and spiritual achievement. Um, life recycling in third density or going on the negative path versus life on the positive path in which, in which one indeed uh, continually rejects the unnecessary and finds um, more and more peace in the unchanging or beyond the winds of change. So, I hope this was helpful. Thank you for being here. Thank you to the translators, Tanasaro and Yana Panika. Take good care of yourselves. See you next time, and good night.